My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Here we are for another episode of All American Wing Shooting Podcast with one of the biggest influences in my shotgun career. Mr. John Francis. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to finally see your face. I know. We've been chatting back and forth for a long time, but I don't. I was thinking about that this morning. I don't think that we have met face to face since Albany, Georgia. I know. The Georgia Well Invitational. We rocked it in Albany. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That is one of the best events that Georgia has to offer. That's just some of the best crowd. It's always um, the Quell Forever number one chapter for fundraising. And yeah, I mean, there's just so much history with that group of people and the commitment that they've made for so many years that it is just always a special event. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I really enjoyed about it was the the history and the tradition and the the southern hospitality, the whole deal. You know, we don't we don't get a lot of that up here in Kansas. We 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 don't we need to start getting some players up here that can start that tradition and start those kind of things. We have some history, but uh, it's not really that great of a. It's not like it is in Georgia, put it that way. Okay, so for all you people listening, the Georgia started years and years ago. I don't really know like the specifics, even though Robert has um, told me about it. So maybe Robert will be one of my next future guests so we can go over this entire um, event. But started when um, Quail Unlimited, I think, was still an organization and then there was some corruption within that organization guys of the um, southwest georgia quail forever chapter came together and said you know what like we need to um we need to save our area and our region and and you know team up with another organization also the quail forever chapter started so they actually pulled away so this event was bringing in celebrities from Hollywood to showcase quail hunting and just get the word out about that area because there's kind of two communities down south, I guess. You got the Thomasville side and you got the Albany side. And so um, Albany is so funny how they say that. Like, it just depends <laughs> on where it's around. I remember that. And so anyways, it, over time, it's just um, evolved into – this event where it seems like the same people come every year because once you come, you're hooked. And so we all stay at this one resort in town and there's like a meeting center there. And uh, it's a all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday event banquets each night. And once you get there, you don't drive. Like you just have fun. There's always transportation, either the bus going back and forth to um the bar at night which everybody goes to the same bar at the same band place like it's 
it's the same thing. And it is so good. Every single year it gets better and better. And then during the day, you start your morning at breakfast. You find out which plantation you're hunting at. Everybody gets in new Ford pickups. You get hauled to your plantation. You hunt in the morning. You have lunch there. You hunt in the afternoon. You book it back. You change your clothes. You go to another banquet. And then everybody goes to um, the same bar that night and talks about their day and then do it again the next day. It's It was awesome. It was so awesome. And yeah. you feel such a part of the community there. Yeah. Because that was it's, your first uh, time down south, wasn't it? Oh yeah, for for that for that kind of a thing, yeah. yeah, it was it was unbelievable experience. I really want to go back in a bad I do way. Too. I do too. I really do because um, they didn't have it one year, and then last year I didn't get to go because uh, where was I? At the end of January, I guess I was either i guess i was in the midwest where with you i mean not with you but somewhere you were running dogs in north kansas and nebraska and uh, in all over the place i remember I did. That. last year i did i got to go to kansas nebraska iowa south dakota north dakota wisconsin multiple times and um <laughs> uh i mean i probably hit those states multiple times it was it was an incredible season last year yeah i can't yeah. complain about that yeah, I wasn't doing much last year in January. <laughs> yeah, you want you want. I, I do want to talk about that because I want to talk about more of our personal lives because we have spent so much time together on the road, and I did get to thinking about your precious wife, who I still haven't got to hug her neck, but she um like gets it. She totally gets our like community and family on the road so i'm gonna cry because i <laughs> yeah i yeah. oh it is hard like it's hard because it's the first time i've seen you but um so anyways john had this horrible accident which he can tell his own story but we talk all the time via phone and his wife picked up the phone and reached out to me and it was precious like she is a gem yeah there's no doubt about that. So, you know, I was, uh, I suffered out of hospital cardiac arrest. So there's a survival rate of that of about two or 3% of people that have a massive MI outside of a hospital setting do not survive. Right. The only reason why I survived is two women stopped, pulled me out of my truck and started CPR I was close to the hospital and a police officer shocked me with his AED. It's the only reason why I'm here today. Uh, but um, so I was in the hospital for about 14 or 15 days. And yeah. the first eight or nine days I was on a ventilator and I was in ICU and they didn't think they weren't sure if I was going to live or not. So I had no clue. Obviously, I don't remember anything. I don't remember two days prior to this all happening. But my wife reached out to every person that sent an email or a phone call or a text message and, and let them know what was going on. Uh, you know, she she just was always there and took care of it, every bit of it. And, you know, you know, how she I did. Am. I'm very similar to you. We have 
hundreds, <laughs> if not thousands of contacts and people were wanting to know where I was. That's yeah. my busy time of year. And I vanished off the face of the earth on September the 10th. Yes, she so, did. And she, I, I felt so bad. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to be there for her because she stayed on your phone consoling us because we had no idea what was going on. And right. I know, I know she, that I wasn't like the only one that she stayed in touch with. So yeah, I'll never forget the shock of that. And, um, and then just how gracious she was because realizing that all of us that have stayed on the road together, that like we are a bird dog family, even though we don't live in the same community and share right. every single day together, like it's an important part of our life. It's right. Exactly. We're always here to support each other, to support each other's ventures. Everything we do, we share, and uh, we want the best for everybody. That's why we're here. So, Oh, yeah. So, anyways, y'all now know that John's like the uncle I never had. <laughs> because I didn't, I never had anybody that was a wing shooter, had a bird dog or anything like that in my family. I got Mercy. She turned my life upside down, and here we are. So, my coach, who was like my number one hero in life got me on that sporting clay track. And if that had never happened and me ending up with CZ, like I wouldn't have met you. And other than Demas, you have been the biggest influencer of the way that I coach the way that I communicate with people and like really how, um, I guess I've just set my goals on influencing others. Because right. you always leave such a lasting impression with every single person you coach. I I try to. Um, sometimes in that late, hot, summer, August grind, <laughs> maybe I'm not going 110%, but uh, I try to do that as much as I can. So, you know, it was, it was I always fondly remember we spent a lot of time at SHOT Show and different shows and traveling and Georgia and Texas State Shoot in San Antonio. And I always remember there was always these teaching moments with you and I, you sharing something with me, me sharing something with you. And there really, there wasn't a whole lot of that with others at those events, but it was always you and I feeding off of each other and learning different things and different techniques, which was really fun. I'll never forget that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's just, um, it's amazing how God just puts people in your life that just help you along. And so we've always planned on doing events together and getting, getting things going. We've, we've made all these plans and now it's about time we follow up with it. We need to host another event. We need to do something. Well, you you know what you need to do is you need to figure out how to chase those chuckers up and down those hills out there. Oh, it's happening. And, uh, In the end of October. I've already got dates set. You're you're gonna have a couple more states to add to the list this year. I am. Yeah. So um I'll end up in Texas. No, I skipped Texas. We're I'll end up in uh New York in like two and a half weeks for for Oh yeah. yeah I, I won't have a dog. I won't I don't think I'll have much freedom there. It'll just be like a couple of days. And then um and then it'll be back to the Midwest and to the south. But I've got some really cool things happening down south. Um helping out launching a new lifestyle brand uh that's based out of Mississippi. 
and then working with Otter Creek in Alabama. And that is a place you've got to experience. So Otter Creek is heaven on earth. Let's talk about that for a minute. I'm listening to your podcast a week or two or three ago, and you're talking to Fred? Frank. Frank, Otter Creek. Otter Creek, yes. He's talking about having breakfast with a guy named John Croyle, who's Big Oak Ranch. Oh, I love them. Yes. So his son, Brody. Yeah. Was a very close friend of mine when he was playing football in Kansas City for the Chiefs. And we hunted together all the time. Every day they had the day off, we were hunting together. And so Brody is running Big Oak Ranch now. So, yes, and so maybe you need to join us. I'll I'll get those dates to you when we're all going to be at Goose Camp, and then um and then we're going right back to Otter Creek, uh the following week to do like like Otter Creek and country nights and stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be some really cool collaboration, and the things that that ranch is doing is just life changing. Every single day they change lives of youth. Like Frank said, like the parents just don't want their kids anymore. And they just turn their kids over to this ranch. It's and it's unbelievable. It is. And so I need to um, send out like a, do a type of fundraiser for them. I know that they have a lot of support, but they are hunters and they believe in our lifestyle. And I just think it's a really great way for us to give oh, back yeah. outside of, you know, just the normal habitat things that we do. But for, for just like we talk about our, upland bird hunting community family there's a lot of us that do other things outside of hunting you know and that's right we just don't talk about it that's right exactly now that place is pretty impressive i have not been there uh i have been invited to come i just haven't got there yet uh to go down there and visit and see the ranch um we generally send them a check every month or multiple ones a year, whatever we, we, we take care and support them pretty as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's pretty special to us. I think mainly because John came and gave a couple of inspirational talks at some events that we were at back in the earlier years in Kansas city. And it kind of stuck home with us, with us not having any kids. Uh, it really left an impression of like, you know, This is something that we need to get behind. So, and then they're all outdoor people anyway. And so you can't say anymore. They're awesome. They are awesome. And they introduce all those kids to the outdoors and they use that as a healing tool and a support system for kids to find themselves and have something that they believe in, you know? Yeah. And they take them all the way up through college. Yeah. And pay for everything. They do. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's pretty powerful. So JC actually went with me to the ranch's fundraiser at Otter Creek. Maybe that was three years ago we were there. Um, It could have just been, it was right before she went to college. So this is her third year of college. And she she had like four families there ready to adopt her because she was bound and determined to go to Auburn. And so I was like, I'm not paying out of state tuition. So she had everybody there ready to adopt her. She was just going to move and, and finish life in Alabama. But, um, 
it's funny now because she did get accepted. She chose not to go. And now she's a Georgia Bulldog. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's a really funny story. But, yeah, it's a special place to us. I, when I first started, um, I mean, my first time in that field, I was shooting, you know, the CZ side by side in that field with Frank. And it was like two days after his knee replacements. And we were still out there shooting birds. And so I was traveling with you during that time. And we just bonded like it wasn't it was just like us. Like when I went there with him and his wife, I just felt like family, like just another one of their kids right. living this dream, you know, wanting to share this experience and what it's meant to us, because they have a really cool story with them starting Otter Creek as almost like a retirement project. And then the tornado coming through and taking that place out and then yeah. it gave them a clean slate for them to like really just blow their dreams out of the water and, and build something amazing. And um, just all the gratitude that they even had the, the second chance, you know? Right. And so it's just one, of, it's just one of those other stories. You just, you buy in, you feel part of it, and then you want to help them succeed. Right. So that's just kind of what happened there. And I've always been compelled to revisit that place, even though there's so many amazing places down South, like, we were talking about that yesterday, how us bird hunters get so addicted to our traditions that we tend to go to the same place over and over and over. And there's over a million over, yeah. great places to go. But um, yeah, I just, I've just found the, these little, I guess, callings and I just, I just stick to it. And Otter Creek is a place I've always returned. Right. Yeah. I, well, I've got some places up here in the Midwest like that, that, you know, I've been going to for, 20 or 25 years and there's not even uh, another thing that I'm thinking about it's like I know what I'm going to get when I go there and I love it so that's what, what I, that's what I try to do and same thing in South Dakota I mean I'll be up there first week in November or something like that I can't remember when exactly I'm leaving but uh it's the same thing up there yeah. just keep going back to the same spot same farmer same area same group and it's a really cool thing to get to celebrate that because the longevity and of these commitments and these traditions are extremely special. So that's kind of why I had you on. I told you like we could talk all about shooting techniques and our <laughs> adventures, ups and downs, but you've been there through some massively personal times in my life, which I don't really talk about um, very often. And with your personal experience, you were, you were going home from the clay course. Like you are a retired fireman. You've, you've had a life committed to service for community. Yeah. And even with your shooting career, like all you do is give back to community. You're so involved with Pheasants Forever, a super successful chapter in Kansas City. You do a lot with women in the outdoors. You're totally yeah. committed to that. And so for you to drive home, which I remember you telling me that you took a random route home, which put you, you know, in the path of these women that actually saved your life. Like you had your heart attack driving and wrecked your truck and they yeah. found you and got you to the hospital. And so, like, I just I think about how our shooting careers, mine and yours, both the hunting community and stuff, what a factor it plays in our rehabilitation, because you had a heart attack. It was like, all of a sudden you're back giving lessons again. And I'm like, oh my God, you need to like pump your brakes. But you were so <laughs> committed to get back to it. And I think about 
my hard times and how I found myself in this horrible situation personally, you know, and lost my identity and just didn't know what in the world I was going to do next. And then I got this dog and it gave me a whole nother perspective on life and motivation to find my life and like recreate passion in my life. Oh yeah. So I don't know. Like I just, I knew that if I was ever going to tell my life purse, like a personal story, it just had to be with you. Yeah. You know, it's uh there's been a lot of um, things running through my mind this week. Saturday is one year since this thing happened. Um, and so it's, it's, um, I don't know. It, there's been highs and lows with this thing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I love to work out now. I'm working out all the time. My health is a hundred percent. It's, I have no concerns at all. No issues. The doctors are all cutting me loose. I, I have nothing. Um, but you know, we're up on that year coming up this Saturday and two complete strangers that I don't know, pulled me out of my truck and do all this stuff. I have talked to one of them. I never did ever find out who the other one was. The one gal actually reached out to me on Facebook. Cool. And she didn't know if I was alive or dead. She asked a question on Messenger. Are you the guy that was driving the silver truck? And I said, yeah. Um, Because when she started doing what she did and the first responders and everybody showed up, they told her to leave to make room for the, the emergency people to get in there. So then two of the girls on the ambulance were girls that I used to work with. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, everything, everything was just in a perfect row for me. I mean, so it, it's, I'm glad it all worked out that way. Cause I know, I know what the outcome is on that. I did that for 34 years and the outcome is not good when somebody has that thing happen to them. Uh, I had no history and none at all. Uh, and like I said, I was at the gun club teaching all day, got ready to go home at five 30 on a Friday night. And normally I just leave the gun club and drive North about five minutes and I'm home. But for that, for some reason that day I went South. I have no idea. So the, yeah, I don't remember anything for two days prior to this all happening, but I wish I kind of did because I shot in a Ducks Unlimited charity shoot and I ran a hundred straight with, no. a brand new, with a brand new gun. <laughs> well, at least you've got your scorecard to prove it. <laughs> yeah. So no, all is all is good right now. It's just uh, you know where I'm kind of in that busy time of year. I got a lot of wing shooters that are getting tuned up, getting ready for the seasons. Uh, our dove season kicked off here a couple of days ago and that thing's going gangbusters. Um, but the state's kind of hurting. Uh, we're really dry. We're in a drought. Uh, we haven't had any rain really to speak of measurable in probably close to two months, maybe longer. And you go out West of Wichita, it's even worse. Um, all the crops are burned up. Uh, the bird population is going to suffer a little bit this year. So, well, anyway. now that now that you've told your whole story about what happened, like, how do you think that has changed your perspective of working with your clients, or just like facing this next hunting season? The fact that you know you get to go. Yeah, I, it's it's. Uh, I'm excited about that, and a few of my friends are pretty excited that I'm going to get to go. Now, 
I went to South Dakota last year in November. Um, I probably shouldn't have knowing what I know now because yeah. I was not well in, in the middle of winter. Uh, I actually got worse. Um, not a lot of people know that, but um, I got worse. And so when the doctor says, I don't want you getting up early, I don't want you going outside in the cold, and I don't want you exerting yourself. I'm like, oh, there goes hunting season. Um, so I didn't hunt at all, not except South Dakota for four days, and that was it. So I am looking forward to getting out this year and hopefully – Hopefully we'll get some water to find some ducks and uh, I'll get to South Dakota and um, I may try to get to Nebraska and a couple other places, but uh, I got to get out and pull the trigger. I'm yeah, long overdue, awesome. long overdue, this, but it is, it's changed exactly my life because I, I just have kind of, this is weird, but I kind of have a little bit of a, I don't care attitude anymore like nothing bothers me. I used to worry about a few things, trying to please people. And you and I have had this conversation where you go, you got to learn how to say no. Yeah. I never said no. And I always try to take care of every single person. Now, I just, I might say no a few times. I'm still, I'm still going to do everything I can to keep new people interested in the industry, in the sport, hunting, shooting, but I got to draw the line where I got to have a little John time too. So yeah, it's that's very, important. yeah. God sent you a massive wake up call for you to learn that very simple lesson. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and I know we're very similar about that kind of stuff. We've talked about that in the past, but um, you can't, you can't keep going. There's I, sometimes Last year, I didn't feel like there was enough days in the week to get it all done. And yeah, it's a big wake up call on September the 10th last year. So, and the hard thing is, is that we love what we do. So, oh, exactly. we never want to say no. It's, it's yeah. like another opportunity is never about the money, it's about the adventure. And we exactly. know when we get done, we're going to be like, heck yeah, I'm so glad I did this. Yeah. But there's only 24 hours in a day. Yeah. You know, I know this time of year, last year, you know, the gun club, I'm five minutes from the gun club and it was nothing for me to teach 10 hours a day, five days a week, and then maybe go to another gun club on one of the other days. Or you and teach your own tournament thing. on the weekend. Yeah. You're yeah, like, you're, it, yeah. So, I mean, it was just like nonstop go, go, go. And I just loved it, but I never, I never took time for me. I never took time for home life and um, I learned my lesson. So. Yeah. And people don't understand that a shooting instructor is like that work is emotionally exhausting and mentally exhausting because all that you can think about is you want to make sure that your client has the best time. Yeah. Has so much success. But you also keep it at the forefront. They are unexperienced, and, and our main number one job is to keep everybody safe. Right. And so the multitasking in your mind of not letting everybody know that you're on high alert, but you're on high alert every single second that you have a client. You're right. And 
and that really is exhausting. Like I can remember because my I wasn't so fortunate. My um, course that I instructed the most at was an hour and a half away from home over the mountain with no cell service. And Ooh. so it was an hour and a half there and it was an hour and a half at home. But I did it because it allowed me to build my skills. I mean, well, that kind of goes into I really don't know how I got away with doing that, because when you when you put it out like that, you're like, that doesn't even make sense for you to drive that far to go shoot clays all day. But during that time, I think, um, you know, I mean, maybe I don't know if I was actually like dealing with some kind of depression or something, but nasty relationships wreck your life. And that saved me and finding my shooting coach literally saved my life. And I say that often, but I really, I really don't talk about how. So it was like, you get lost in um, just the negativity of, of, you know, a bad situation. It's like, I needed to find something that made me my best self so that I could be my best self for my girls. And that's when my bird dog came into my life. And that's when I learned to shoot a shotgun. And I was so addicted to winning because I was always been a competitive person. Right. And I found something as an adult that fed that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't quit. And I became obsessive with it in a healthy way. And and it opened up this whole entire life to me where I feel like every single day I have this positive purpose for other people's lives. And it and it makes going through hard times worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand. I totally understand. I mean, we'd have a bird dog here, but, um, we're in one of these neighborhoods. That you can't have a fence. You can't have this. You can't have that. And we're not home enough. So yeah, we're thinking that maybe one of these days we ought to be getting out of here. But the timing's not quite right yet because John doesn't want to drive an hour back and forth to the gun club to teach. Yeah. I'm chilling. So I don't know close. how I did it. Yeah, I, I really don't. And maybe you could end up just on a piece of property where you just have your own gun club and people come to you. Yeah, that, that would, I, I ended up doing that, and that worked really well for me in Georgia. That wouldn't be a bad idea. It would give me more time to practice, too. Yeah, so for, is, my, own, for my own benefit. Now, Talk about life changes. This, this new one kind of threw me for a loop. Like, you know, we traveled so much doing marketing things and, and we would always complain (laughs) about that one thing, right? Man, we get to talk about doing, but we're not doing a lot of doing right now, you know? Yeah. And we, we had this whole running joke about that. And then when COVID hit and all those things paused, it was like, okay, I can take the parts of the industry that I love and and do the things that I love. So my first intro into bird dogs was tournament hunting. And that's like the biggest redneck rodeo of all. And my oh, favorite yeah. thing I like to do with my bird dog. And so oh, yeah. in a roundabout way, God dropped that back in my plate. And, and I said, okay, I'm going to take advantage of this downtime, which is what we all saw in the industry, right? Like, okay, well, we've got a downtime. We don't know what that looks like or how long that's going to be, but I'm going to make the most of it. So I got back to shooting every day and running dogs every day. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to build my kennel. And, and I found myself like hiding right behind the dogs. So instead of me sharing my story and inspiring other people or whatever, I just, sold out to the things I love and kind of got selfish about it. Like it was me and Taterbug, Jason gone to college. And we just spent that family time 
and um and just traveled and hunted and ran dogs and so I was all gung-ho about that got I mean invested in a kennel like moved sold my dream house like the whole nine yards right and then and then I met Chad and then I become a waterfowler and then I moved to Reno (laughs) which there's no shooting around here I mean, I guess I could shoot in the desert, but it's not the same. It's not the same of having that community, like you're saying, that gun club and going there and having your standard clients and your ladies group that comes in every two weeks and the things that we're used to having in our lives or even running dogs. I don't have a kennel here. Don't practice birds here. There's no water really to speak of anywhere close. I mean, we're in the smack dab of the desert. And so it was a whole nother thing. And it was like, okay, God said, you got away from sharing the message of what like this whole world brought to you. And it was, and it's really hard to um, accept sometimes because we get selfish. We love pulling triggers and we love running the dogs and stuff, but there's a, there's a purpose for us to be in this industry. I agree. I totally agree. It's just, you know, it's, it's kept me so busy the last 20 years, 25 years, I was double dipping, running the business full-time and working full-time at the, at the fire department. So that was a great thing because I, you know, I, I only worked 10 days a month. Mm-hmm. I had 20 days off a month that I could go shoot and teach and hunt and introduce young people to the sport. And, um, oh, what a great experience it's been. That's It's unbelievable. So yeah, I don't, I'm going to have a hard time when the day comes when I decide, okay, I've, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to. I don't think you ever have to I, stop. I don't think I you might just have it. to slow down. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> this afternoon, I've got a like 12-year-old who's handling Britney's for this friend of mine that runs his big kennel an hour south of town, and they're doing a big Oh, women and kids demo field trial bird dog type thing this weekend. And he's going to handle all these dogs in front of all these people that are coming. Mm-hmm. And he's going to shoot a bunch of the birds too. So I'm going to work him over on some of the little drills that we do and, and uh, throw him some little bird like targets and he shoots lights out anyway, but you know, I got a whole list of people like that whether they're adults or kids and it's just like you know i would i, I hate to I, I shouldn't say this but i would almost do it for free you've said that so many times that's so funny well i i feel the same way it's like um you know i bought podcast equipment like two years ago and i said i'm gonna start a podcast and i'm gonna start sharing about all these adventures i do on the road because i am the worst at documenting what all we do I do so many more things than ever gets posted on social media because I'm, I was so focused on being present and I was so hungry to learn that I just, it would be over. And I'm like, man, I wish I'd had a video of that or whatever, you know? And so I ended up um, selling my podcast equipment because I never even took the time to learn it. And so now I'm here in Reno with this, incredible studio right in the backyard and Chad's like you don't you better get out there and start that podcast you know you don't have any more excuses yeah there you so go I have so enjoyed and it's been the most humbling experience to like 
I'm on another pause, right? Like we're not traveling right now and season just kicked off. I'm about to hit the road, but I've had all summer of just loving on my dogs, not taking care of client dogs. I don't have a full kennel and just reevaluating like what I kind of want my second phase of life to be. Right. And it really is just telling people don't sit around and say, I wish I could have, would have. Yeah. Just go do it because you and I have talked so many times, like there's nothing special about me or what I've accomplished. I just never said no. I've, if a door opened, I walked through it and I learned whatever lesson it had to offer me. And I just built on that. And yeah. there's so many times I had no idea what I was doing um, in the beginning. Like I'm pretty sure my first real pheasant hunt was on camera with gun dog TV. And Randy Lack was the most supportive person in the whole world. I'm like, and Mike too, Mike and Mike, the Mike and Mike show, they were there. Oh, yeah. you know? And yeah. I'm like, my dogs have never seen fields like this. And here I am. CRP to my chin. I never needed a, a like tracking collar down south quail hunting or anything like that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to lose a freaking dog. We've got yeah. these, the wind and the storms and my dog can't hear my whistle and I can't see her. And, you know, it, it was just such a learning curve of new things. And these guys just supported me. I showed up in my truck with my dogs and I had a puppy and and they just made me feel right at home. And so when I had those great experiences up front, I never thought twice about going and trying something new. Right. That's, that's awesome because, you know, and you got to keep sharing that story. I spent a lot of time with a lot of different girls and women's organizations and stuff. And, um, you know, the big thing is that they, they just don't want to take that first step, but when they do, if they get, coached enough where they can take that first step, pull that first trigger, shoot that first bird or go to someplace, then they're hooked. And then they're going to share it with everybody. You're right. You're so right. And so when I started Taterbug was, you know, uh, maybe like two. And so my parents, when I would travel, like my mama would take her and so thank God from thank God for our good mamas, you know, Lord have mercy. She had no idea what I was doing. And half the time, I don't think she was all that supportive in the beginning because she didn't understand it. And people would be like, well, where's Anna at now? Because they're following me on social media. She was anti-social media back then. Now she yeah. loved it. Yeah. Um, but she'd be like, I don't know, somewhere with those dogs and that shotgun. And she's got tater bug, you know, now she's superstar grandma. But um. But at that time, I needed that so bad because I was I was escaping something, right? So when I was coming, this was not about building a brand or a business or anything. It was about survival. And when I had a gun in my hand, I was the happiest I ever was. Right. So that, that did become addicting. And then being around so many good, wholesome people, showed me how to make that my family story and helped me mold that for my kids. Mm-hmm. So JC, I, I started an SETP team with Demas at that clay course an hour and a half away from home. So on Sundays we'd have our team practice and she was not driving. So she was like 13, 14. And she Sundays, I'm like, we have to go to early church. We have to hit the road. As soon as it's over, we get one place to pick up lunch. And this was every single Sunday for over a year. 
she was miserable. She was like, you own every single free second of my life. Cause here she is in high school showing yeah. horses. So unless she was, um, riding or something, she was with me and, um, going to this thing. And she just got to where she resented it. And then she went to college her freshman year and she went to an ag school with a bunch of redneck, good old boys, you know, that was always hunting. And every kid in college had their shotgun at school and they were duck hunting. And she texted me one morning and she's like, thank you so much for making me do that because I'm so confident and I love this so much. And I was like, in the moment, I was miserable escaping something. This shotgun world took me in, gave me joy in my life again, and gave me something to give to my kids. All this time, I didn't really like understand. Yeah. Like in the moment, you don't, you know, you just don't understand the moment what that gift really means. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what's your next adventure? <laughs> my next adventure is um i'm just really enjoying this podcast and i'm hitting the road like i said i was gonna help launch a, a new lifestyle brand out of mississippi and um sharing you know the stories at otter creek and having a home base of somewhere where i feel like we said we don't have to give anything up but we kind of need to work our way where we can slow down a little bit you know oh and, i agree and I don't, I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. I, I, I miss instructing. I don't know if, if I'll be able to commit to that again. Um, but I'm really enjoying learning something new. So, you know, we got into the labs and I got a lab and I became, instead of the short hair snob, the happy hypocrite. And Littles is my heart and soul. So, you know, she's a pheasant hunt machine, but her genetics say she can honestly be whatever she wants. And you now know, that I'm up here, up here in the Midwest, and I've had friends with short hairs, pointers, satters, Britneys, you name it. But the last five years, everybody's going to labs. And you know, I was a duck guy forever. I was an upland guy forever too, till we lost most of our bird hunting. Uh, it just moved west four or five hours. Yeah. But everybody is going the retriever route for both species waterfowl and upland now they're oh, all doing it i love it i mean littles is the easiest so i've done all of her training up until now she was my you know really my first uh, opportunity to do that and our first tournament was like a, a week after her first birthday there was 50 dogs in the the puppy division this was bdc it was all sequestered. Well, we made it to the finals. So the finals is sequestered. We got drawn to go first. And sometimes I don't mind going first, but this morning we were in, um, heck, we were, we were actually in Wisconsin for this tournament. And um, she, she's just so like, she's just so good. She's just so good. First of all, I couldn't even believe we made it to the finals because of every single dog that was in our bracket was like a master hunter dog. Not really. Cause we were all, it was all puppies, but I just felt like they had way more experience because of the training that they had. Right. So you're in brackets right. of like three or four dogs and a very experienced trainer had all those other dogs and then who was running them, but you just never know when, um, 
when you get out there, there's a lot of luck in that game. So we made it. And I should have had more confidence in myself, right? But, you know, that we're the first to doubt ourselves or blame ourselves or whatever. Oh, yeah. So we get to the finals and we run first and you couldn't see two feet in front of you. The fog was so thick. It was really, really wet. I'm like, well, who knows if we're even going to get birds to fly or, you know, and when it gets like that, sometimes they just fly past them and, you know, there's no wind. And so I just, I just felt defeated before I even got up there. And then we hit that first our gate bird so fast I don't remember but it was like a 10 second bird or less and it was like on it was like that dog knew there's five birds planted in that field and I had a photographer out there so I have all this proof of photos and I just can't wait to like relive that every time and we got done and she she had ran such a solid run I don't remember our time exactly but we ran first the whole day. It was like a five or six minute run. I was floored. So it's like a 10 or 12 acre field, five birds planted. We got done with it. Couldn't hardly see in front of our face. And um, so we sat first the entire day and two other dogs that had been trained in, in that kennel um, ended up beating us and they had a lot more training under them. Uh, one was just got their senior hunter. And they were like second to last to run out of all those dogs. And then the the last one um, had just got a master pass the day, like the weekend before. So it, it was just so much further in their training because they could be up to two. So she was like the youngest one probably in the entire division, right? So after that, I was like, okay, well, she's a rock star pheasant dog. And we got this chucker thing down. Um, and, then, and then I got introduced to really true hardcore duck hunting, right? So the little things that I've done on the side, yes, I've been duck hunting before, but not like this. This is a totally different level when you're filming with the foul life. Yeah, it's a whole different deal. Yeah. And and my first goose hunt, which you would have been so proud, I went the first day, fell in love with it. Um, and then Chad sent me this the second day without him, with Axel. And I was like, heck yeah, like I fell in love with the dog work and uh, I mean, I already did love the retriever, you know, retriever stuff, but it, it just, it just brought it to a whole new level. Me getting to do it on my own with an, with an experienced dog at that level. Right. So now I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go through this season as long as I can ship tater or not tater off. Yeah. Let me ship tater off too. Um, ship littles off and get her finished for this. And, and I'm going to just embrace it. I feel like, you know, God's put me here for a purpose and, I don't have to be a master at everything, no. uh, but I do want to share the opportunities because that's what I'm saying. Like, just never say no. Like I just learned that lesson so early on. I'm never going to say no. And there's a reason why I'm here. And like, I'm just, I love my life. I just love it. And it, and I do miss things, right? Of course, like tournament season just started for everybody. Yeah. Heck yeah. I miss it, but I'm so happy where I am. So right. I don't know. Who knows? You might see Anna V with a duck call one day. Who the heck knows? Well, it'll happen. It's uh, <laughs> it's the same lifestyle. It's just you're around the water and whatever. It's it's the same stuff. You're going to find out. And and that's a hardcore level. I did hardcore waterfowl stuff for many, many, many years. Uh, it's a lot of work. 
Uh, there's got to put a lot of effort into it, at, like we do and everything else. But the dog work is just as good as the upland dog work, in my mind. It can be just as good. Well, so, I just find the the, the level of um, the Rockstar Duck Dogs, when you have those tools on an upland dog, it just it makes it so much better. And I've won so much because of having an upland dog with a master title because they right. have the tools. Yeah. And um, so now I'm like, oh, you know, Chad's like, oh, littles don't need to know all that stuff. Just chasing those roosters, you know, making fun of me all the time. And <laughs> like, but I know the value of it now. And so I don't know, I guess littles may go down to Mossy Pond and a little while. And, you know, Mossy Pond actually has a lot to do with my career, even though it took me a long time to actually meet Brad. But uh, Ducks Unlimited in Georgia actually sent me to Mossy Pond early on because I knew that Hallie Joe needed to get into that retriever world because she was so young and she wanted an independent life with the dogs. Right. I'm like, I'm, I don't know how old she's going to end up being to turn her loose with Dolly in the field. You know, you, you turning a kid loose with the shotgun with the pointer is just not something that happens very fast. And I didn't right. want to get burned out or lose interest. So Brad actually coached me on um, early on on how to keep Hallie Joe involved before I even met him because I was thinking he was a lot closer to me, but he ended up being five hours south. And then um, he also introduced me to the people at Dogtra. And so, um, yeah. And so the rest is kind of history is how I kind of got into this retriever world. So JC's supposed to do some stuff with them. Um, do you, are you familiar with the SRS series, the super retriever series? Oh, a little bit. Every part of the country's got different organizations for the dog world. So up here, they do a few things differently than they do in the South. You know, it's all depends. So, well, I don't know very much about it, but it's kind of like, um, AKC on steroids, maybe they have like obstacles and stuff in the fields when they, when they're doing their yeah, yeah. retrievers and stuff. Well, what's super cool about that is Miss Shannon, who's I guess in charge of it started or whatever. I listened to her podcast with Chad from a couple of years back because when JC was at ABAC, the Ducks Unlimited chapters got invited to have like one or two representatives from, from collegiate chapters to go to the SRS to represent the DU chapters and do youth dog handling or like amateur right. dog handling. Yeah. So I'm like, JC, you need to go. Well, she chickened out not knowing what it was really all about. So um, now that she's a UGA and everybody at school's got their labs at school or whatever, I think she's going to end up with Mercy because we're not doing puppy thing right now in college. But yeah, I think she's going to end up getting teamed up with uh, when Wasponga. She's super involved with DU and, and UGA and stuff, and so it's just really cool to see how all this. It felt like a rabbit trail, you know, like all of our stories when we finally would get back together, like where we'd been or what right. we'd done, and we were at another event or whatever. Like they're all starting to finally make sense instead of feeling like I was all over the place and living some yep. chaotic circus. It's all coming back around, and um, it's really cool to realize all the people that have been involved. And that's what I was saying about my podcast. All these people that I have had on have been a massive influence in my life 
and they're like such a big deal in the industry. Like I'm, I just feel so fortunate to have had these type of mentors. Yeah, I, uh, I, I understand. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I haven't had, I was, I guess I was lucky, but I kind of wish I did. I didn't really have mentors other than my dad. And, uh, you know, when I was little and grew up, I, you know, I was shooting BB guns and 22s and 410s and doing all the kids stuff. And then the next thing you know, I'm in a duck blind. And the next thing you know, I'm shooting quail behind a, behind a setter with a 28 gauge. And I was 10 or 12 years old. And yeah. I'm thinking, man, this is the coolest thing in the world. I gotta, this is, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's opened so many doors. You know, South America, Mexico, I'm, you know, Argentina, Bolivia, Paraguay, Uruguay. I've been all over the place there. I, I, I still can't wait for my next trip and I haven't had a trip in two or three years. So I got to get cracking on one of these big trips. So I'm behind. I've never taken one outside of the country. And I was on the phone with um, Tim Van Herden with, and he's in South Africa. I met him through SCI and he, he has some unbelievable opportunities for wing they shooting in South Africa. This, that's a wing shooting destination that we don't hear about much in America. Well, let, we need to be talking about. Is, Maybe we need to go they there. They have a bucket list of stuff. And most of the people that go there are, are hunting big game. They're not shooting birds. They've got ducks and geese and guinea fowl and sand grouse and rock pigeons and you name it. And dogs driven, whatever you want, they can make it happen. You're so, right. I say we go. Know, South America's South America's got a little bit like that too. You know, the thing of nice about South America is we can shoot doves and pigeons in the morning and then have lunch and go out with, with pointing dogs and shoot perdies in the afternoon or shoot ducks in the morning and, and just mix it up. So I really miss that place down there. I kind of help out and represent about three or four lodges down there in different countries. And I always just love taking eight or 10, 12 people down there on their first trip down there. And they get out in the field and they don't realize that there's a good chance that you might shoot three or 4,000 birds in one day. And they just can't, you know. You can't fathom, fathom that. Yeah. You can't fathom that when you feel like, it's, it's, you know, you want a lottery ticket by um, getting your limit of pheasants, which is three in South, in South Dakota. Like you, right. if, if that happens, you feel like you want a lottery ticket, you know, yeah. or, or grouse in the UP or whatever, you know? So to like, that's just unheard of to be able to just take you know, that many birds on one day. We got some pretty good dove hunting here. Obviously, you guys, when, when you're in Georgia, the Southeast is world famous for dove hunting in the United States, which you can shoot with 15 in a day. You can shoot 15 in South America in about 30 seconds. And it, it's just the best place in the world to work on your wing shooting skills. You don't have to go down there and shoot big numbers. It, to me, it's all about camaraderie and tradition and and having a great time and in learning a new culture and new and seeing different places. That's spectacular. 
So I can't wait to get back. I got to get that planned. <laughs> I can't wait. I know, I know that I've heard so much about and like being involved with SCI, you do meet so many more people outside the country yeah. than like our normal circles, you know? And so right. it's it's got me tempted when I never had any desire to leave the States. I'm like, if yeah. I get to go and shoot every single region in the States, then I would feel like I accomplished everything I could have ever dreamed. Right. And then it may, and then, and then all of a sudden the world just seems so small. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you need to put on your bucket list, because it'll take you three or four years to make this happen, and you can do it right there in your state that you're in right now, is a Himalayan snowcock. I know. My gosh, just training for that is going to be insane. I have one guy here that I taught how to shoot 10 years ago, and he killed his one bird on his fourth trip to the mountains up there and let me tell you you got to be part billy goat to pull it off but um yeah he killed he got one the last time he went so he checked it off his list but that is like the ultimate upland bird in the united states not very many people are going to get one of those Mm -mm. so but yeah you got you know arizona the you try to go to Arizona every year, gamble squail. Listen, we got those on our backyard fence. They yeah, taunt poor Dolly in the pen in the backyard. They just sit there with their little top hats, you know, and, yeah. she, and she, I went by there the other day. She's on point. And I'm like, oh my God, this is just going to be a nightmare. Like they just taunt the dogs, you know. Right. So I'm standing there watching her to see how long she's going to stand there. And she gives me the side eye, like, are you going to shoot this dang bird or what? You know? <laughs> and uh, like, she is so mad. I mean, we can't shoot the neighborhood. So anyways, and I mean, even if it was season, but yeah, they're around here all the time. I have to be careful letting the short hairs out because there'll be a covey of quail in the front yard. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I can't even put into words how random that is to be yeah. driving into the neighborhood and then see covey quail just run across the street right yeah um even in our heyday in kansas in the 70s and 80s we didn't we didn't see that many quail that they were in the neighborhoods now if you got out in the country a little bit you know you could find some quail but you know we had days 20 cubbies one day on one section can you imagine? No. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And we, you know, it wasn't about limits. That's the nice thing that I like about some of this upland lifestyle. It's not about limits. We would shoot one bird out of a covey rise, and we wouldn't even go after that covey. We'd go find another covey. If there was three or four of us hunting, we took turns we shot one bird out of a rise and that was it. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, if we killed 10 or 12 birds, we knew we could have killed 40, but we didn't because we didn't want to ruin it. We kept doing all the right things. The farmer was doing all the right things. We were all members of different organizations. You know, there was the Quail Federation, Quail Forever, and Quail Unlimited was back in the day. We were all supportive of all those things. So we were always doing the right thing. And, and that's what 
really drives me today with the waterfowl world and the upland world is just getting out and having the experience with friends, introducing new people. It's not about filling the back of the truck up with birds. It's about the whole experience and being out there when the sun comes up and having a cup of coffee on the tailgate at the end of the day or, or whatever. So that's, uh, that's the important part for me. Well, I know that for a fact, cause we've hunted together a lot, shot together a lot. So I just, I, I just wanted to thank you for all this because now I know what it means. Well, you're very welcome as always. So very welcome. I got it. So what, what are you, when's your first trip? Uh, I'm not going anywhere until November uh, 9th or 10th to South Dakota. We'll go up to Brown Kimball. So that's the game plan right now. I know probably, you know, I'll hunt some ducks. I hope teal season starts on Saturday. We just don't have any water anywhere. So I'm not sure we're going to be able to pull that off or not. So I'm hoping that we will be able to find some, some water. Do you have a a bunch of geese plans? Cause you usually stack geese up. Yeah, we do. We, we generally do. That's uh, it's pretty easy to do here in uh, December, January, and February, you know, Chad knows that I'm, I'm sure he's been here before in Kansas, but um, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it's always pretty predictable and, and everything flies right. So I'm sure we'll be hammering up getting out of those quite a bit. So last year um, we were in Nebraska and Iowa for, for snow geese and, I missed Pheasant Fest, and I and I hate it because I was so close. But we were camp. Were you? Were, did you go to Pheasant Fest last I year? I didn't go. Um, I was still not really feeling a hundred percent then. But yeah, it is next year. Um, it's like the anniversary. It is. It's the fortieth year anniversary. Back in, the- in Minnesota, isn't it? Minneapolis, I think. Yep, and um, it's the same weekend as NWTS. So it just depends on where your commitments are, where you get to go, because they always want to overlap these shows. It makes it so hard on people. Yeah, it, it does. It does. Are you chasing so, turkeys at all anymore? Any what? Turkeys. Yeah, um, our turkey numbers are really way down uh, eastern part of the state, western Missouri. It's, it's way down. I think uh, bad weather, uh, this avian pox was a big problem for a while, but they kind of backed off the limits. They kind of did away with the fall hunting and they, they took one bird off the spring season. I think it's, it's really seemed like it's starting to make an improvement now since they've done that for the last couple of years. So we'll see, I think next spring it should be fairly close to normal hunting conditions again. Now, Taterbug got a little taste of um, chasing turkeys at um, at Jack Daniels. <laughs> oh Jack, yeah, yeah. They have an amazing amount of turkeys on their facility. Have you visited their distillery? I'm not. Uh-uh. Boy, is it one gorgeous place! So we were there last spring, 
uh, for an event. And then we were up on Barbecue Hill and there were these turkeys up there. And it was just me and Taterbug. The guys had left and uh, just for a few hours and they were going to come back. So I said, Tater, like, let's just, let, let's see if we can call these turkeys up this hill. I don't know. They were like 60 yards down this hill or whatever. So I just start calling. Like, I don't even have a call. My dad taught me how to call turkeys kind of sort of. So I just start calling and we're sitting out on the concrete. Well, they all start strutting. And I said, holy smokes, we got to get undercover. <laughs> so we hop behind this tree and they just take off running up the hill towards us. And, um, you know, you know how crazy excited she gets and how country it's like the more excited she gets, the more country her accent. Oh, yeah. Gets. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so she is just lit up. And I said, OK, well, we can move around this whole property over here. We'll see how long they'll chase us around. So we'll just keep calm. They'll call back and, you know, play the whole chase game. That kid had so much fun. Like, we didn't have a gun. I mean, you can't shoot there or whatever. But we just had the excitement and she saw the interaction with them, which she's seen like the duck calls and stuff. And I think that's what, that's what got me so um, excited about duck hunting is, is just calling like the communication with these animals. And so I've never been like a super hardcore Turkey hunter, but Taterbug might get me back in it. I, I really enjoy this calling aspect. So maybe like you asked what my new thing is, you know, maybe it's not like I just don't have the time or the location or whatever to really commit to the dog training or whatever, like I was going to. Maybe it is um, the the jargon of animals. I don't know. is is pretty is pretty exciting. And I want oh, her to do it. She's got a duck call. Maybe she'll end up being in these little kid duck calling contests or something. Yeah, well, I'm sure she she'll get trained. Uh, I think you probably know somebody <laughs> that can help a little bit. Yeah, there's. I think there's a duck call in every counter in the house. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I kind of know. I kind of know what that's like. I forgot who it was. Somebody was saying that had messaged me and um, just said like they had gotten inspired to start shooting. Their daughter, who had been somewhat of an introvert, had found shotgunning at 14, and you know that's just such a crazy age at that time. If you don't know who you are, it's hard. And so she's joined a 4-H team shooting. And so the mom decides she'd take lessons since the daughter was learning to shoot. Turns out her 19-year-old son and husband are are upland and waterfowl hunters. And she said it was so amazing because now that they're learning that they've been invited to camps and stuff. And so, you know, it's just another, another confirmation of us sharing our stories and just our life journey that it really does influence other people. But she said... She's like, everybody's blowing these duck calls all over the house. And it's just so um, noisy and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but if it ever went away, you sure would miss it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I don't, I don't ever complain about it. If Taylor wants to blow her duck call and play her guitar. We're all good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is good. Well, she's being brought up in the, in a, in a good household with a, with a bunch of uh, really good traditional hunting and storytelling and all that good stuff. So she's getting to see some sights, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's homeschooled, so she doesn't, she doesn't want to miss camp. She lives for it. And she misses handling dogs all the time. So I told her next year, we'll see if we can get back into some, um, 
letting her run some more AKC hunt tests and stuff like that. And she just, she thrives on it. But all the, like this year, all the dogs were either like Littles wasn't ready. All the other dogs were in training, finishing titles. And um, so it was just, it was just an off season for that. That's just something that has to be planned for. Right. Yeah. But there's nothing like getting your your kids involved in handling like your like your client the 12 year old kid like it's awesome to see them shoot and and i honestly believe there's nothing better than building confidence for anybody yeah kids women even men than shooting sports there's something so special about that skill and it's not just the camaraderie it's not the environment it's it's that skill that brings a personal pride it is, um, you know, it's some people are just not meant to play certain sports. Some people don't have the hand-eye coordination to be a baseball player or to play hockey or, or football, basketball, whatever, you know. Um, some people aren't made for team sports. But the shooting world and golf kind of go hand in hand. And the shooting world, you know, you're on your own, you're by yourself, you're competing against yourself. And I think it really fires up the old drive pattern to get going and to learn and to be successful. And there are a lot of people that, uh, you know, started off and just shot a box of shells on trap field. And, you know, a year later, it's unbelievable what's changed. I mean, unbelievable. I can tell you stories about kids with autism that were living in the basement at mom and dad's house that never left their video game and introduced them to shooting a shotgun. And now they got a college scholarship for shooting. Yeah. And they wouldn't have gone to college. Right. They'd still, they'd still be in mom and dad's basement. There is something about it, but the dog aspect of the hunting world that we live in, I think that's what keeps your, your kid like spirit alive. Oh yeah. Like for the kids, it gives them independence. Right. But for us adults, it takes us back to like our first dog love. Right. So I, I just, I don't know. It's just such a really cool balance of what it brings to, to life. I just, I couldn't imagine ever not having it or going back or having it taken away. I think that's what makes me so outspoken about politics and second amendment and carrying on tradition and all that stuff is, when knowing what it did for me on a personal life, like, because people only see the career side of what I do. Yeah. Um, it just, it makes it where it's like, it's just my soapbox. I can't be without it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I know it's important to be, keep up on all that stuff and to voice your opinion. It is important. Sometimes it's hard. We, we seem like we're getting worn out with it, but um, got to stay on top of it. Well, this doesn't end. The The attacks don't end. It's always in the fine print. It's always a hidden agenda. And if you don't share it, people don't know. Like, it's right. a full-time job keeping up with what the attacks that we're facing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that whole deal that happened in Canada there last week about not being able to bring home the birds. Did you see that? Yeah. They put that out the week or the night before opening day 
when who knows how many hundreds or thousands of Americans were already in Canada in right. goose and duck camp, getting ready to have opening day the next day. And then they find out that they made it illegal to bring back the birds. Doesn't like make any sense. Doesn't like make any sense. There's only four or five or six million of them that migrate past the border anyway. They don't they don't get stopped there. <laughs> I don't get it. It didn't make any sense. So it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And so I don't know. I just hope that our conversation today and us sharing like really what this world means to us because you have you almost lost your life and and you couldn't wait to get back to shooting sports and sharing you know getting people involved and creating new shooters and hunters and all this stuff and i can't walk away from it because of of the life that it brought to me i, right. I like i just hope that people want to be inspired to incorporate it on this level in their little circle like if we all just take ownership of our own worlds Yep. Then eventually the whole world is covered. Yep. And so, you know, like we can only do so much as individuals, but if we do our part, then, then it's taken care of. And I, I don't know, like we, we get bombarded with all the nonsense and we like to just pretend that it really doesn't matter, but it really does matter. This political stuff really does matter for our future. And um, it just means too much to us, I think, to ignore it. I, I agree. I totally agree. I worked John, too hard in this. I worked too hard in it to make it all go away. We got to get our calendars together. We got to, we got to share hunting camp this year somewhere. Sounds good. We need to do it. We'll make it happen. I'd, I'd love to go down to, to uh, Alabama down there too. That would be a fun deal. Uh, that way I could revisit some of the old friendships down there that I still stay in touch with a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. And I'll get in touch with Robert, too, about the Quail Invitational. I need to be sharing about that because I'm sure they're booking groups right now um, for that event because it's in January. Yeah, it wouldn't, it, you know, wouldn't be long before it shows up again. I know. It's going to be. That a was an awesome trip. trip. That town it, reminded me, it reminded me a lot of uh, the one box pheasant hunt in, in Broken Bow, Nebraska. It, it was at that level. I think the, the Georgia deal was a little bit better, but um, one box was, was a great event to go to also. Yeah. You know, and there's so many of these events that people may not know about because like we say, once you start going, it's just like the same people are always there. Yeah. But there are traditional hunts all over the country. Like the one that I do ringneck nation and Huron. In Huron um, yeah. The one that we went to the sharp tail shootout, Nebraska. Yep. Um, they're everywhere and, and they just create so much fun with the most friendly competition. Yeah. And, and they raise uh, a ton of money. They, they do. Mostly, you know, they got for good causes. Goose hunts and duck hunts and antelope hunts and deer hunts, turkey hunts. They got a, all kinds of those things all over the place. People don't realize they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to start sharing about these. Um, these special events so that people are within a reasonable driving distance and they can they can get there but they are worth the drive i've driven two days for one of those it's been and it was worth it i'd do it again yeah i pretty much have to drive two days from to go anywhere (laughs) from here i thought georgia was out of the way no you're (laughs) you're uh you're out of the way now 
So yeah. that's for sure. Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on today and for sharing your story and for all of your commitment for the the influence that you've been on my personal life. It's really, really special. Well, I appreciate that very much, Anna. So I enjoyed visiting with you and we'll visit again like we always do here in the near future. But let's uh, let's figure out a, a time to go uh, shoot a bird or, or do something. We got to make it happen. And if anybody's in the Kansas City area and wants some of the best shooting instruction for clays or wing shooting, you just reach out to us. I'll put you in touch with John. He is the best of the best. I appreciate it. They just got to remember that it might be two or three weeks before they can come see me. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of busy. So pre book your lesson. Yeah. Yep. So until next time, we will see you soon, John. All right. Thanks, dear. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave